you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Are you glad to be here tonight? Oh, come on. Am I in in an apostolic church? Are you glad to be here tonight? Last week, of course, we talked about the oneness of God specifically pertaining to baptism in the name of Jesus. And how many of you enjoyed last week? That's such a crucial part to who we are as apostolic Pentecostals. And so we discussed, well, what does it mean to be oneness apostolic Pentecostals? And we learned simply that that means that we are authentically Christian. And tonight I told you that we were going to talk a little bit about salvation, about the salvation plan, specifically as it pertains to the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And we're going to dive a little deep into teaching tonight. I encourage you to take notes because this is another crucial part that signifies who we are as apostolic Pentecostals. It was timely today that I had a conversation with someone that were, they were speaking to me about their walk with God. And they said, you know, I've never seen a miracle. And I said, really? And they said, no, I, I have never personally seen a miracle. And I asked them, I said, well, have you ever seen someone filled with the Holy Ghost? And they said, well, of course I've seen people filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, well, then you've witnessed the greatest miracle that there is to witness. Because other miracles come from perhaps God through the laying on of hands to the recipient. But the infilling of the Holy Ghost is something direct from God to the recipient. And it doesn't require a middleman that is physical flesh, but rather Jesus is our mediator. And I said, so if you've witnessed someone receive the Holy Ghost, you have witnessed the greatest miracle that can be experienced. And I told them, I said, furthermore, I said, when you woke up this morning and when you didn't have to tell your heart to beat and you didn't have to tell your lungs to expand and your eyes automatically opened, whether you liked it or not, and the the sun automatically rose without you having to click a button, I said, you are not only experiencing miracles but you are living in an all around miracle and I proceeded to tell them I said do you know the percentage uh, the, the, the chance of life existing and they said no I really don't and I said I don't have the number off the top of my head I said but if you saw the number it would blow your mind because it is such a small chance for life to come out of nothing let alone for the universe in itself to be created 
And so I, I simply told them, I said, not only are you experiencing miracles, but right now you are living in a miracle. And so tonight we're talking about what truly is the greatest miracle that is for every single individual. Not only can we receive it, but it is absolutely necessary that we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Perhaps you've heard it called the Holy Spirit. There is no difference. I'm referring to the very same thing. And every person can be filled with it. The scripture tells us. That in order to inherit the kingdom of God, in other words, in order to go to heaven, man must be baptized of the water and of the spirit. And so last week we talked about who Jesus is and we talked about the necessity of being baptized in the only saving name of Jesus. Not in the titles of men, but in the name of Jesus. The scripture says that there's none other name given of of heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And then, of course, tonight we're going to be talking about what is the greatest miracle. And that is, of course, baptism in the Spirit, the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in the Old Testament, we are told by the prophet in Isaiah, the 28th and 11th verse, 28th chapter and 11th verse, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Verse 12 says, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith we may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And so the question in this passage of Scripture is, who is he that said or would go on to say, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Furthermore, the second question we ask about this passage of scripture is what are the stammering lips and other tongue that this scripture is referring to? Isaiah is an Old Testament book of prophecy that often foreshadows the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And it is this prophet in Isaiah that also said in Isaiah 11:10, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for and a sign of the people to it shall the Gentiles seek, and and his rest shall be glorious. He also said in, in the 30th chapter, verse 15, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. And so we understand that the book of Isaiah is a book of, of prophecy that over and over and over is speaking of the coming of Jesus. And so when we read in the beginning, Isaiah 28, 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people to whom he said, this is the rest. We understand that this is very clearly speaking of the coming of Jesus who would come in the New Testament. And so again, we begin to ask the next question, what are the stammering lips and other tongues? And so if we place it in the context of this passage of Scripture, we know that the prophet in Isaiah is prophesying of something related to the coming or the aftermath of the coming of the Messiah, of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so this experience that is being described by the prophet Isaiah it is 
is described as something so specific as the rest and as the refreshing. And so as we begin to look into, well, what is this speaking of? John 14, 26 tells us, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So we understand that when Isaiah was speaking of stammering lips in another tongue, that he was speaking of an experience somehow connected to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so here we're given in the Old Testament where the prophet Isaiah is speaking of two things. He's speaking of the coming of Jesus to earth to come and die on the cross. But furthermore, he's speaking of the aftermath, which of course we know is the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If you're with me tonight, say amen. I don't normally do this, but if someone wouldn't mind me to grab, grab a water for me tonight, I'm stumbling over my words just a little bit. Acts 2 and verse 2 tells us, we're familiar with this passage of Scripture, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Of course, Acts, the second chapter, is the recording of the very first time that the Spirit of God is poured out on man. So if we go a little forward to verse 11, I hope you're following with me tonight. It says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And verse 15 says, well, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it but be the, the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men sh shall see dreams. In verse 18 it says, And all of my servants... And on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Thank you, Sister Christina. Give it up for her for just being right on. And verse 21 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And finally, verse 33 tells us, Therefore, being at the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed Forth this which we now see and hear. And so I read that pretty long passage of scripture to point out something very simple. That the Holy Ghost was not something just experienced. It was not something just received. But I want you to notice as verse 33 records. That this encounter was something that was both seen and heard. And so we understand that the Holy Ghost is not a matter of accepting God into our hearts. And the Holy Ghost is not just something that we feel inside of us. But we understand that the scripture is clear that with this experience comes something that we both see and hear. 
In John 3 and 8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it come, and whether it go, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so the scripture is very clear that there is a sound associated with being born of the Spirit and receiving the Holy Ghost. This sound is the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance as recorded all throughout the scripture. In this passage of scripture, it is Jesus speaking who uses this parable to describe what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Just prior to verse 8, he says in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that this which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that this which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so again, when we look at the context of this scripture, we understand clearly that this passage is speaking directly of the salvation plan. So ladies and gentlemen, you must be born again, both of the water through baptism in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we know with that that there is a sound associated with this experience. Mark 16 verse 17 tells us, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents on accident. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. So we clearly understand that believing alone does not fill one with the Spirit of God. It is not a matter of accepting God into your heart. It is a unique heavenly experience that signifies that one has been filled with the Spirit of God. This experience of receiving the Spirit of God is beyond belief. Few of you might have been through first steps and you've heard us talk about that a little bit. What does it mean to be beyond belief? Well, in Acts, the 19th chapter, we're introduced to a story where Paul was passing through the upper coasts and he came unto Ephesus and he found some certain disciples and here's what he asks them in Acts 19 verse 2. He says, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost? Since ye believed. And they said unto him, we've not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto then what were you baptized? How were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized In the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. First of all, I want you to notice tonight that he asked them a specific question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Furthermore, they hadn't been baptized in the name of Jesus. They'd been baptized in another way. 
But when they came to this revelation of how they were to be baptized, we find them being rebaptized in the only saving name of Jesus. That is biblical. When someone comes in our doors and perhaps they've been baptized in other ways, once they've come to a revelation of baptism in the name of Jesus, as Scripture teaches us, oftentimes those people will be rebaptized in Jesus' name. But furthermore, Paul lays hands on them. And they speak with other tongues as it signifies that they have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was a few months ago that I had called in to a Christian radio station. I must have been quite bored. I had called into a Christian radio station and they were talking about the book of Acts. So I called in. A few of you said, uh-oh. I called in and I said, I said, I'm so excited that you're talking about this topic. They said, why is that? I said, well, I just, you know, there's something so incredible to me in the book of Acts. And I quoted from the 19th chapter. And I talked about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And, and I said, you know what's amazing to me? They said, what? I said, what is so incredible to me is that this experience was beyond belief. Well, of course, they instantly didn't know what I meant by that. And I said, well, there's a lot of people that say, well, believe on the Lord with all your heart and, and then you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I said, it's amazing to me that so many churches and so many people think that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is simply believing. But Paul clearly said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? I said, and then of course, again, I'm on the radio. This is a national radio station. I won't tell you which one. But I said, it's amazing to me because they never even heard of the Holy Ghost. But when he tells them of it, he lays hands on them. And of course, they receive the Holy Ghost. But then there is an evidence that signifies this experience. And the scripture says that they spake with tongues and prophesied. The people on the other line got real, real nervous real quickly. And the man began to stumble and he said, well, well, uh, well, you don't, um, you know, we, we, uh, we know, we know that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. We don't really know how they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, and you can't look at Acts as a book to describe the New Testament church. He said, because we really just, you know, we're just, we're unsure. And at that point, I begin to respond and say, well, that's funny to me because Acts is the recording of the New Testament church. And it gives us the pattern of who we are to be as the church. Well, as I begin to reply, I quickly realized that my phone call had been muted and that a few moments later, that, that phone call had been hung up on. But we understand that the book of Acts is the template for the New Testament church. And so if they received it then, then we can receive that same experience today. If they saw sick people healed then by the laying on of hands when they prayed and called on the name of Jesus, then that is a template telling us that we too 
can experience that today. And so we understand clearly that this experience is an experience that is beyond belief. And it is for every single individual. And so the hope that that brings to you today is this. That simply believing on Jesus does not mean you're filled with the Holy Ghost. However, it's good that you believe. The devils also believe and they tremble, but they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. So it's a good thing that you believe. Belief is a necessity. It's a necessary part of your salvation. However, the encounter of being filled with the Holy Ghost is a step that is beyond belief. And it is so much more than praying a cute little prayer and saying, God, I accept you into my heart. That is good and that is well. But the experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost is an experience that is beyond belief, that will absolutely change your life. And when you are filled with that spirit, evidence follows. And of course, we know that the initial, the, the initial evidence for every believer is speaking with other tongues. And if you've had that experience tonight, I hope that you'll say amen and confirm that that experience was something that you yourself received. Sometimes you have to say amen because it's quite awkward to take a sip of your drink in silence. So say amen again. So when we go to Acts, the second chapter, and when we begin to look at this first experience with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we can go directly to perhaps one of the most famous verses amongst apostolic Pentecostals. We quote this very often. Acts, the second chapter, and of course, verse 37 and verse 38. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, quote it if you know it, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the what? In the name of the titles? In the name of someone? No, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for quoting with me. It goes on to say, for this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. We understand that that did not cease, but that the same Holy Ghost is still being poured out. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then something funny happens. Some that were standing outside of that experience started to believe that perhaps these people speaking in another tongue were drunk. And verse 15 says something kind of funny, in my opinion. He says, for these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it be the third hour of the day. It's five o'clock somewhere. But this is that which was spoken of. By the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he talks a little bit about that for a moment. And then in verse 25, he does something so interesting. He quotes David from the New Testament. And he says in verse 26, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. 
notice here he's specifically talking about the experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost. But he clearly explains to the reader that this experience of being filled with God's Spirit is partnered with an initial evidence speaking with other tongues. If you don't believe me, and if you believe this was an isolated experience, it's recorded in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 11, Acts 19, and it continues over and over and over that when people were filled with the Holy Ghost, as a result, they would begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the evidence. Prior to the outpouring of God's Spirit, John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto the baptism of repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He's speaking of Jesus. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire, not literally. Nobody wants fire. But it's speaking metaphorically of an experience. Interestingly, tongues of fire is talked about in the Acts recording of the upper room experience. Tongues is not only the evidence, in evidence of the Holy Ghost. But it is the initial audible evidence that every single believer will inevitably experience when they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. However, you must also have the fruits of the Spirit because that too is an evidence of your experience. While speaking in tongues is the initial evidence for every believer, we understand that it does not stop there. But that as true Bible-believing Christians, that we must also display the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. So what does that mean tonight? That means that if you claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but if you talk about your brethren, you might want to check your experience again. If you claim that you've spoken with tongues, but you don't love your neighbor, you might want to double check your experience again. If you claim that you're filled with the Holy Ghost, but you can't be kind to other apostolic people in public, you might want to check your experience again. Because the evidence, while the speaking with tongues experience is the initial experience, the initial evidence, we understand that that evidence is much more than just Speaking with other tongues. But that evidence is also the fruits of the Spirit. That means that if you claim to be a true apostolic Pentecostal believer, you better also have love and patience and joy. There are other fruits to follow. Further proof of this evidence is recorded in Acts 10. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcised which believe were astonished, as many came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And verse 48 says, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 
Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's one thing I want you to get tonight, it's this. You must be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus. Baptism is the symbolic washing away of your sins. That when you go down in the water, your sin remains dead and you come up a new person in Jesus. But you must also be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Born not just of the water, but also of the Spirit. This is not my opinion. This is not our opinion as merely Pentecostals. But this is the infallible, unchanging, authentic word of God. And so we don't add. We talked about this a little bit last week. We don't add and we don't take away. But we believe the word of God for what it says. So if you don't believe me tonight, that's okay. You don't have to. It's in the word of God. When you begin to search the word of God, you understand that faith alone cannot save us. You can believe that there's a tornado outside your bedroom window, but you better duck and cover because when that tornado hits, if you merely believed in it, belief alone is not going to save you. But belief enables you to act upon that which you believe. That's why the scripture says that faith without works is dead. If anyone ever tells you any other doctrine, they're not telling you the doctrine of Jesus. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus, repent of your sins, believe on Jesus, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And of course, evidence will follow. Romans 8.11 tells us, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwelleth in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Well, some may say, well, I don't interpret it that way. But tonight I want to remind you that there is a major difference in between interpretation of Scripture and translation of Scripture. Interpretation is, well, how do I feel about what it says? But translation is, what does it say? And so as true Bible-believing Christians, as we talked about last week, we don't add and we don't take away, but we believe the Word of God for what it says. It's not about my stance. It's about the infallible word of God. You know in the Old Testament. That if a fly ever landed in the anointing oil in the temple. That they would have to completely discard of that oil. And they would have to go back through the process of pressing the olives. And getting oil again. If we ever allowed our fallible flesh to corrupt the infallible word of God, we've got it all messed up. What we believe is not about the teachings of a man. It's not about interpretation. It's not about what I say or what you say. But we believe the infallible word of God. And, and according to the word of God, this is an experience that is not only for everybody, but it is, ne it is necessary for every Bible believing Christian. If you're with me tonight, say amen. amen. So to bring further clarity this evening, I want to answer several common questions 
and misconceptions regarding the Holy Ghost and the initial evidence of speaking with tongues. First of all, maybe you've asked the question, why the tongue? Why would God choose such an unusual experience to confirm that you've been filled with the Spirit of God? The third chapter of James calls the tongue an untamable member of the body. Proverbs describes the tongue with the attributes of a sword. The scripture tells us that life and death, that the power rather of life and death is in the tongue. And so when you're filled with the spirit of God, I find it so interesting that he chooses to tame the untamable. How many of you have, can honestly say I've said something I shouldn't have said before? Come on, am I in a room full of perfect people? We've all probably said something that maybe hurt somebody. That maybe we shouldn't have said. And we understand that the power of life and death is in the tongue. That our spoken word can destroy a relationship and it can mend a relationship. It can lift someone up or it can tear someone down. And because we are flesh, sometimes we struggle with our tongue. Sometimes we struggle with how we react to people. Some of, some of us struggle with our tone. Wives say amen. We struggle with our, with our tone, with how we speak. But when you're filled with the Spirit of God. Sister Robin was about to have a Holy Ghost fit back there when I said say amen. When you're filled with the Spirit of God. We understand that God tames what is untamable, and we begin to speak in a heavenly language that we didn't know, that we're not trying, we release God to begin to do something inside of us, that he begins to tame the untamable, and he begins to change our heart, and our lives, and our mind, and the tongue is just a small part of the evidence that the God of the universe is changing the nature of my flesh, and he is doing something to me that otherwise I could not do myself. James 3, 5 says, Even so the tongue is a, lin- a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter that a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and other things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of man. But the tongue can no man tame, for it is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. I want you to notice that it said the tongue can be set afire of hell. But do you also know that your tongue can be set afire of heaven? This is what it meant when it said cloven tongues like as of a fire. What it's saying is, well, we've tamed the dog, we've tamed the cat, we've tamed the horse, but I struggle to tame my own tongue. But we know that when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God tames what was formerly untamable. Perhaps tonight you've never had the experience and you ask the question, what does speaking with other tongues sound like? I want to clarify and tell you that it is a heavenly language that is unknown to the individual that is receiving it. The scripture says that the spirit of God gives the utterance. 
And so when you're seeking to be filled with the Holy Ghost, give no thought to yourself. Don't think about what's about to come out of your mouth. God gives the utterance. And it occurs at the moment of complete surrender. Once we've surrendered all that we are, even our tongue, God begins to tame the untamable and change the nature of our flesh. Perhaps you're wondering tonight, well, why didn't Jesus receive the Holy Ghost? Or perhaps you're wondering, well, why doesn't the Scripture record an experience where Jesus spoke with tongues? I want to clearly state tonight that the Spirit of God was robed in the physical flesh of Jesus. Jesus was and, and is God in the flesh. And so while we don't necessarily have an account that he spoke with tongues, we understand that he is the living, breathing Spirit of God. And so while we are fallible flesh, he was infallible God in the flesh and didn't have to have the same experience that we have to have. He was the Spirit of God in flesh. We are fallible flesh who needs to receive the Spirit of God. Perhaps tonight you wonder the question, well, how do I receive the Holy Ghost with this evidence? The infilling of the Holy Ghost often occurs at a moment of complete surrender. It is when you have given your complete self to God. And so if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, perhaps you haven't had the experience in a long time and you're looking at how can God refill me and how can I re-experience that initial experience, I'm going to tell you this, lay yourself down. Get rid of self. Get rid of pride. Lay down the pain and the bitterness and the hurts and tear down all of the walls that separate you from God and completely surrender your life, your body, your mind, your tongue, all that you are. And it is at that moment of complete surrender that there's nothing standing in between you and God. When you lay down the walls, God can move in, and I guarantee you that if you're truly surrendered, you will inevitably have that experience. And if you've experienced that tonight, I think that deserves a hand clap that you can attest that God has done that in your life. Some may tell you in various areas of the denominational world that tongues have ceased. And so tonight I want to address that question. They often quote 1 Corinthians 13.8. And they say charity, it says charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So using this explanation, you would have to also believe that knowledge has also ceased. And so perhaps what this is addressing is the fact that at the end of eternity, wherein there is no end, that there will come a time that the earth has faded away, that life as we know it no longer exists, but that charity, that word means love, that love never fails. 
But one cannot use this logic to claim that the evidence of speaking with other tongues has ceased. Because if they truly want to use that belief using this particular passage of Scripture, then my reply to them would be, well, how can I believe you? Because using that logic, knowledge has also ceased. And perhaps you're speaking with a lack of knowledge. We understand that that passage of Scripture was not telling us that speaking with tongues has ceased here on earth. But rather it was speaking in the context of eternity that there will come a day that life itself ceases. But we understand that tongues will not cease, perhaps until we reach our destination of heaven. Because in heaven we will have access to God himself. So when we pray in tongues, we are ministering unto God and speaking things that could never that we could never understand. But when we get to heaven, we will have direct access to God. Are you with me tonight? And so we understand clearly tongues have not ceased, but that experience, that initial evidence, is for every single believer. Perhaps tonight you have the question, is tongues necessary for me? Is it a necessary evidence for every single person? Many of other faiths confuse Paul's teachings in Corinthians chapters 11 and, and four, or rather chapters 12 and 14. And we've got to understand here that Paul is speaking to the church. And he's giving guidelines regarding the usage of the gift of tongues in a public setting for a church service. Acts by no means followed these guidelines. It's quite funny that if you look at what Paul was saying and you look at what was being exemplified in the book of Acts, it didn't really follow the same guidelines. And we know clearly that Scripture cannot contradict itself. Therefore, Paul must have been giving correction regarding a different experience. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing spiritual gifts, specifically the gift of tongues for interpretation. And this is not a spiritual gift that all have. The scripture makes it very clear that there is a distinction in between the gift of tongues for the purpose of interpretation and the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost whereby we speak with tongues. And so... In 1 Corinthians, Paul is not saying that all do not have the evidence of speaking with tongues. Rather, he is addressing the issue that not all are granted the spiritual gift of tongues for interpretation. And so the initial evidence of speaking with tongues is for every single person. And if anyone ever comes to you and attempts to quote the words of Paul, in attempts to tell you that not all speak with tongues, we clearly understand that the Word of God makes a distinction in between this evidence and gift. The Scripture speaks of diverse kinds of tongues. One is a spiritual gift given for the purpose of interpretation. How, however, one is promised as an evidence for everyone. It is the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost, and it is the testimony of Christ confirmed in you. 1 Corinthians 1, 5 tells us that in everything we are enriched by Him, in all utterance, 
and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and when we speak with other tongues, this is the testimony of Christ confirmed in the believer. So I want to be clear tonight in saying that speaking with tongues is not the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence for the Holy Ghost. And if you have received the Spirit of God, you will speak with tongues. But we cannot confuse in evidence. You don't confuse what is hot and what is fire. We understand that speaking with tongues in and itself is only in evidence of the Holy Ghost. But with that experience of being filled with God's Spirit, also evidence, rather, evidence must also follow that include the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, joy. We must also have the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe tonight you've wondered, I've never spoken with tongues. Well, does that mean that I'm not saved? Salvation is a progressive experience. And some are in, in different places in their journey. Perhaps you've repented and you've been baptized. Or perhaps you've been filled with the Holy Ghost and you've never been baptized. That may be your next step in your walk with God. And so if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost and had that experience, I encourage you tonight to take a next step and begin to seek after that experience because it is promised to every believer. Do we believe the word of God for what it says? It's promised to every believer. And so I, I, I'm not telling you tonight to be fearful because every single person is on their journey and their walk with God. And while we understand that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is necessary, perhaps you've not yet had that experience. But tonight, I want to speak in faith and tell you that you can have that experience. And that if you seek after it, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. And you will speak with other tongues. And the church should say amen tonight. Many people go throughout life feeling emptiness, asking questions of why is there a void inside of me? They attempt to fill it with drugs, with alcohol, with various things, seeking to fill something, a missing piece that is inside of them. And the issue is that they're trying to withdraw from something that has never been deposited into I dare you to go to your bank, empty it out, and try to withdraw from it. You're going to feel empty. You're going to feel like something is missing. And here's what I want to say tonight. Is the reason the world feels empty. The reason the world is constantly seeking to fill themselves with drugs and fill themselves with the lifestyle of partying and alcoholism. They're seeking to fill a gap that is inside of them. But can I tell you tonight that the only thing that will sustain you and the only thing that can fill the void is being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The only thing that can fill that missing link in your life is the Holy Ghost. I find it interesting that in the very beginning of the Bible that we're introduced 
to this God as the filler of the void. We're not introduced to him first as the Messiah. We're not introduced to him first as the provider, the waymaker, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom. But we're first introduced to the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I do not find it a coincidence that God would intend for us to first see Him as the filler of the void because tonight I want to tell you that if you fill a void in your life, God wants to fill it. If you seem like there is an emptiness inside of you, the, the Holy Ghost is so Something that is for you and will fill you and will sustain you and will give you peace and joy and comfort. You must be filled with the Holy Ghost. And tonight, if you've never had that experience, seek after it. That experience is for you. Did you enjoy this tonight? Do you understand who you are as apostolic Pentecostals? I don't want you to tarry with me long tonight. Stand with me across the room. I'm going to make myself available after this lesson. If you have any questions, please come to me. You don't go to an anti-government individual to learn about the government. And you definitely don't go to an anti-apostolic individual to learn about what it means to be apostolic and so if you have any questions tonight don't search google for it come and see me and we'll discuss the word of god bow your head with me lord i thank you for your word i thank you that we can be baptized in the name of jesus repent of our sins and be filled with your spirit give us hope tonight that that experience is for every single one of us let your spirit be with us as we go throughout our week comforting us guiding us and protecting us in Jesus' name, greet each other in the name of the Lord.